Am I the only one that eats all of their popcorn before the movie even begins? Anyway, this is The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas. When did you write that? I didn't write it. Paul McCartney wrote it. The Beatles. Who? What if the whole world forgot who the Beatles were? That's yesterday. It's the doll, Ed. It's a beacon for other spirits. And the latest installment of the Conjuring Universe franchise in Annabelle Comes Home. That's this week on The Cinema Crew. Hello and welcome to The Cinema Crew, the podcast that talks new movies every week. My name is Michael Campbell and I will be your host. In fact, you can call me Campbell if you like, but I'm not alone because joining me is Vari McIntyre. Hello. And Dan Miranda. Hello. Now your chance to win a gold class double pass coming up just a little later on, but first. John, Paul, George and Ringo, the Beatles. No. Stop it. Yesterday. It's one of the greatest songs ever written. Well, it's not Coldplay. It's not Fix You. Do you genuinely not know who the Beatles are? Genuinely. And I'm in a really, really, really complicated situation. Richard Curtis has become an industry in British rom-coms. Between four weddings and a funeral, Notting Hill, all the way to about time, he seems to be able to make magic from an age-old formula. Joining him this time is critically acclaimed filmmaker Danny Boyle, a man whose roots are ingrained in indie film. And if the film had to be any more British, it's all about the Beatles. That seems like a lot of correct ingredients. Dan, do they work? I absolutely love this film. Yesterday, I did something, but this film yesterday (laughs) (laughs) is... I really enjoy this film. It's about... um, a man who's trying to be a struggling... Well, he's not trying to be a struggling musician. He is. He's succeeding in being a struggling musician. He's succeeding musician. in being that. Um, his girlfriend, played by Lily James, is the most supportive girlfriend or partner you could ever imagine. She's, she's you know, taking his equipment on tour to... I think he performs at the Latitude Festival yeah. at the start. No one shows up. I think it's in a tent for children. <laughs> um, and, what, well, what the premise of the story is, is that the Earth has a, I don't know, a 19-second glitch of electricity that blasts out and then in that one second of time he gets hit by a bus, wakes up in a bed in a hospital. And no one knows who the Beatles are anymore. No one knows who the Beatles are. Which is a good opportunity for a struggling musician. (laughs) (laughs) The concept is something I don't think I've encountered before. I think it's really innovative in the way that they went about this and some, some of the most humorous moments are found because of this device. Yeah. Do you agree? And it seems like one of those premises that it it would be a conversation between you and your friends. We're like, would you do it if you could? Yes. Would you go back in time and claim credit for all these songs? And not just songs, like songs, the best written songs of all time. (laughs) Um, And you'll see in the trailer, I'm sure that moment where his friends don't know the song yesterday. Yeah. Hence the title of the film. (laughs) Um, But what I so enjoyed about this film is the, the construct and what what people will do for fame and, you know, how, how greed and money come into that and authenticity for performers themselves and just the aspect of what what really matters to, to a person at the end of the day. I have to interject and say <laughs> that I actually, unpopular opinion, didn't enjoy this film. Really? Which it even surprised myself because <laughs> I love the Beatles and I mean, maybe that was kind of why, because maybe I felt, I feel like a purist in this sense where I have a very distinct view of the Beatles and their songs evoke a certain response in me. And 
the way that they're played in the film, they kind of updated it a little bit. Like the the performer, the main character, kind of takes on his own version of them, as you would, I guess. But I just felt like, no, that's not what they're supposed to sound like. That's right. not how the Beatles did it. And I felt just kind of maybe put off by that. You know, you know what's funny? This is actually exploiting kind of a bit of a, a loophole. So famously, the music of the Beatles is tied up uh, in so many different like legal battles and stuff. It's partly owned by Sony Music. It's partly owned by Apple. And it's like prohibitively expensive to put in any movie, which is why you'll see that it's not really in many movies mm. and the weird mm. loophole that people get around like the movie I am Sam does this uh, is you can use cover versions of the Beatles songs. So in that way, they've got a way to have all the Beatles music, but not actually have to pay the full licensing for all the Beatles music. Yeah, that's like a $150 million movie at that point, rather than like, you know, a, a rom-com budget. There was this great interview with Danny Boyle, the director, where he was talking about that and he was talking about the rights to the Beatles music and how it's so expensive and how you have to go through so many legal things. And he said, you know, just to get the imagery of the Beatles is copyrighted and things like that as well. And he's like, he goes, it's the most, well, no, hang on. It's the second most expensive thing I've ever had to put in a film. And he <laughs> said, well, what's the most expensive thing? And he goes... Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yep. there you go. Just to get the wow. music was almost as much as it is to that's get Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> I heard it was $10 million wow. to have them featured in there. So Jeez. if that's the price for just the cover versions. Yeah. 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 Wow. <laughs> okay. What happened? <laughs> no one knows. It was all over the world. Electricity flicked off. You were just unlucky that at that exact moment a big bus hit you. <laughs> right. I've got to get back to school. Al. Yeah. Thanks for taking such good care of me. You're welcome. I'll come back later. Will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? <laughs> I don't know. I'll think about it. Why 64? What do you mean, why 64? It's just... Oh, forget it. <laughs> so I, I want to talk a little bit. Speaking of singing the songs, um, Himish Patel is someone that I'd never heard of before. Me either. Uh, apparently he's from EastEnders, uh, so, yeah. so my research Very told me. British. Uh, but yeah, never seen him before, never heard of him before. And he is the, the kind of, the I guess, the heart and soul of the movie. He is the man that has to pretend he's written all the Beatles songs. And I think he's really great. And I really hope that he does become more of like a leading man. Because it, it's a hard task to carry a movie by yourself, especially when you're kind of like seemingly unknown. I guess in our country, maybe in England, he's a little more known. Um, and I think he does a really good job. I really liked him. Yeah, I think uh, vocally, I think he has the chops to be singing all these songs. Mm -hmm. And uh, to going back to what you said before, Vary, about uh, maybe being you know, a purist, I feel that this film will appeal to more people who may not necessarily be the biggest Beatles fans, but are familiar with the songs. And I, I'm not the biggest Beatles fan, but the music is so amazing that it like you can't help but have an emotional response even the songs performed by Himish Patel do have that ability to reach the emotional core of each of the meaning of the songs yeah but like Cambo you said he has to take the Beatles music and make them his own but character wise no he does not have to <laughs> oh. he makes a conscious decision to steal the Beatles and pass them off as his own songwriting and that's the emotional struggle that the character has to go through this movie he doesn't have much of an arc other than oh no the Beatles don't exist I better write the songs and give the world this music but then also struggling with that guilt of 
they aren't mine, but no one's going to believe me because they don't know who the Beatles are. So I can't really say that it's Beatles music. You have to pretend that it's his. Um, so so yeah, you, you're, you're, you're thinking the emotional weight wasn't enough. Yeah, it was a bit like he was a kind of a passive main character and that's like such a faux pas in screenwriting that you give a character the main protagonist not enough agency and things are just happening to him. So there's no explanation for why this worldwide blackout happened and everybody forgets that the Beatles exist except him. And I really need that like an intellectual connection to like more reasons, more background to things happening rather than just going along with it. So I think, yeah, that's what bothered me about it. But otherwise, like the film is just fun and you I guess you're just going for the music. Yeah, so it, I think it falls into that category of like crowd-pleasing kind of stuff. Uh, but if, we're, yeah. if, if you mentioned faux pas and there's, there's two people here that, that really <laughs> this movie like screams out that it's kind of in their DNA. One of them is Richard Curtis and the other one is Danny Boyle. So Richard Curtis, the way I have explained this to people is I think Yesterday is a Richard Curtis film more than a Danny Boyle film. And it's a Richard Curtis film for good and bad. So all the things people love about Richard Curtis mm. films are there. You know, it's got the kind of the soppy English romance and yeah. it's got the, uh, you know, it, it's got that kind of like British charm to it. And it's quite crowd pleasing in that way. But all the problems with Richard Curtis films I'm thinking specifically like kind of thinly written female characters and people just expressing their yeah. feelings all the time and things like that. They're also still there. Mm. So it, it yeah. really depends whether uh, there are people that just kind of really love that Richard Curtis thing. And that that's, if, if that's your thing, then this is exactly that kind of movie. I don't mind Richard Curtis films. I thought Notting Hill was kind of charming. I actually really like uh, about time as well. Um, but I, all throughout film school, the one person I used to want to be as a director was Danny Boyle. So I was like super excited <laughs> for that. And yeah. there, there are glimpses of that Danny Boyle kinetic energy. His directing style is normally very fast and a bit odd and he makes these weird choices. He loves a slanted camera. I was just going to say the <laughs> angles in this film yeah. are very evident. So um, I don't know Danny Boyle, but I, I wrote. I, yeah, I knew yeah, those I mean, angles. Especially movies like um, you know, Train Spotting and 28 Days Later. They're quite kinetic, fast, energetic movies. And this is him at his most, I would say, like crowd pleasing as well. It's his mm. most like commercial that he's been in a long, long time. But I was even thinking, I think he's too good a director for this movie because there are scenes in it that you can see he's trying to do something with, but the script doesn't really necessarily call for it. And I remember thinking, like, you're almost too good to direct it. Because <laughs> what, what you normally do, you, you take very complex ideas and you distill them down. But this is a very simple idea mm. and it doesn't necessarily need the Danny Boyle treatment. That being said, every time it was, quote unquote, a Danny Boyle film, that were my favourite parts. Sure. You've had 20 years to make your move. What can exactly make my move when I was seven? And you've had 10 years. Exactly right, but... No, so... I have been waiting half my life for you to wake up and love me. Having loved you for half a lifetime, I realised when you left that I had made a bad choice doing that. And now it's got even trickier because... If you were playing in pubs, we were the perfect match, but now... I'm an actual school teacher in actual Lowestoft and you're... The world's greatest singer-songwriter. No, I'm not. Except I... that you probably are. 
Lily James as the love interest or the unrequited love. You might know her from Downton Abbey and Cinderella. She's a great actress and she doesn't get much of a role other than just to like weep and be like, oh, you, the main character doesn't love me. Like, yeah. what am I going to do? She, at one point she says to um, the, the main character called Jack, she says, you know, Jack, I'm just always going to be Allie with the frizzy hair and the big jumpers and, and whatever. And I'm thinking, you're Lily James. Yeah. You're literally one yeah. of the most beautiful people <laughs> I've ever seen in my it's life. It's hard to imagine her <laughs> yeah. as an outcast, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, oh, why why am I not good enough and I'm not pretty enough? Yeah. And that's that classic Hollywood idea, mm. isn't it? Then True. Put frizzy hair on a jumper on someone and they look plain. Yeah. <laughs> Ed Sheeran gets that treatment as well. There's all <laughs> these really big names in this movie. Like Ed Sheeran plays himself and he sort of discovers the musical talents of the main character. And he is in awe of this talent that this guy supposedly has and is kind of just like, oh, well, I guess I'm never going to be good enough. Like we all just have to assume that Ed Sheeran is the biggest pop star in the entire world. Yeah. Only eclipsed by this newcomer because he has the Beatles music. Um, and Ed Sheeran kind of is in a, in the movie a lot more than I would have expected. All right. So we've kind of talked about rom-com fans and Beatles fans. So who do you think really out of those two or out of anyone should see this film? I think it leans more towards a rom-com audience and it's got Beatles music in it rather than thinking it's going to be a film about the Beatles and their music. It's somebody else and his story and his love life and he just happens to be like playing songs that the Beatles did. I think that's what I got from the film. I think uh, because rom-coms are generally for a female audience, the music of the Beatles um, will actually bring a male audience into this film. Yeah, because so I guess that the Beatles music doesn't really sway one gender or the other. No, I think it's across age and gender. But um, I think, you know, couples will come to this film. Yeah, it's a good date movie. Yeah. Also still in cinemas, Toy Story 4. Woody's Greatest Adventure. The Secret Life of Pets 2. A sequel to the first film about a cute little dog called Max. And Child's Play. Mark Hamill voices the cutest killer dog. <laughs> yes, you can hear about all of those movies, and in fact, every single movie that's playing at the cinemas right now with our back catalogue, which you can access from whichever podcast app you'd like. Did it work? The evil is contained. <laughs> How could you not tell me you're babysitting for the Warrens tonight? And we'll be back early tomorrow morning. Have fun. Don't your parents keep any creepy stuff around? You keep it all locked away in a room. It's not good for anyone to go in there. My dad says that everything in there is either haunted, cursed, or used in some ritualistic practice. What's that? The fairy man. They put coins all over the eyes of the dead so he could take their souls. What about the doll that's in there? Annabelle. She's in a case for a reason. No one could have imagined back in 2013 when Aussie filmmaker James Wan released The Conjuring that it would span an entire cinematic universe with eight films and counting. Well, the scene-stealing haunted doll Annabelle is now on her third solo film, Annabelle Comes Home. Is there really enough creepy doll to spread between three films? Vari. There definitely is. Dolls are hella creepy. I've not seen the first two films for just such a reason because I found just the poster would scare me. 
So I went into this not knowing much about Annabelle, even though I have seen The Conjuring Universe. So the doll is finally taken by the Warrens who have been throughout The Conjuring films and they take her back to their little occult house and lock her behind a cabinet and seal her with... I was going to say spells, um, religious <laughs> chants and holy water. It, it, it may as well be spells, yeah. <laughs> and they all think it's safe and the parents go away for some reason and their daughter is left home with I lo- the I love the horror movie logic. The parents yeah. go away yeah. for some reason. Yeah, well, I, I saw them going away is because they didn't want to be a part of the film. <laughs> yeah. To make Mm. it more scary that obviously uh, the younger children get left at home by themselves and a bunch of friends and then suddenly Annabelle uh, comes alive or the demon that's possessing her and wakes up every single other scary thing that is in that basement (laughs) and starts terrorising the poor kids. With the possession of Annabelle, it's actually known as a conduit, which I didn't know what that meant, but basically the, the demon uses the Annabelle doll as like a puppet and doesn't actually possess the doll itself because you never actually see the doll move on its own. It just appears places. Right. Um, And I actually looked up, there is a wiki page known as Villains Wiki and (laughs) I looked up the Annabelle doll and under occupation, not only did it say demonic vessel, (laughs) but under that it said porcelain doll. (laughs) I want that to That's be my job. occupation. I want to be a porcelain doll. <laughs> she can do both. <laughs> Annabelle is the beacon for other spirits. Something is happening inside your house and we're not really sure what to do. Can I speak to Annabelle? What is so creepy about this whole thing in the Conjuring universe and Annabelle herself is that it's based on a real story. And I didn't sort of know this when I went into like the the beginning movies years ago. Um, But there's a huge website that the Warrens actually have and their house is like based in Connecticut and you can go visit. The real doll is there that you can go see. They have seances sometimes, I think. So um, it's all based on people's interactions and the stories that they've had about Annabelle. And she actually did like scare a lot of people. And we were talking last week about Child's Play, which you said is, is a horror film, sure, but it's yeah. more of a, a gory, tongue-in-cheek slasher film. But I, did this one, did, I mean, the question is, did it scare you? Well, I think this one definitely takes itself a lot more seriously than good old Child's Play, <laughs> which is fine. But um, the thing that is terrifying about this film is the anticipation of something bad or something scary is going to happen. Uh, what I appreciated about this film is that a lot of the jump scares that you expect to happen don't. Interesting. And so you're like really tense and then you relax. Oh, no, this is not going to happen. Oh, no, it didn't. Ha- then it happens. You're right. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. oh. So do you think that they've learned now that you're expecting it at one point, so then if they don't give it to you, you will relax and that's Absolutely. where they do it. Yeah, they probably have done case studies on this, I'm <laughs> sure. But, um, yeah. yeah, the whole, I would say, maybe the two-thirds of the beginning of the film are actually quite slow-paced. mm yeah, you agree? that's what I found. It build, built up and then it was only after halfway that it really started to get scary 
and the main events happened and they just happened in such a quick sequence. It did not let up and I jumped quite a few times. (laughs) I know you did as well. I did as well. And I think maybe they'd learned from the nun because we were talking about jump scares that you expect and that's what the nun relied on, which Mm. still did make me jump, but not as in a scared way as this one did. And you know my feelings on Child's Play from last (laughs) week. Not a huge fan, but this one actually scared me because as you said, yes, it relies on suspense and it relies on you knowing and liking the characters and the characters are really likable, I think, in this film. And there's reasons for things. Yes. So who do you think should see this film? I think this is a film for fans of the series, obviously, um, and uh, couples. I think this is a teenage film, horror, seems to appeal to teens and tweens. Yeah. Yeah, and and like maybe that child's play thing Mm. wasn't serious enough for you. Maybe this is that serious for you. I think the same audience will appreciate this film. Yeah. Yeah, but even if you haven't seen any of the other Conjurings or even the first two Annabelles like myself, I feel like this is a good standalone film got relatable characters a good story and it'll just make you jump really scarily so you can't be passive in these films (laughs) (laughs) now your chance to win a gold class double pass simply head to the village cinema's facebook or instagram page find the cinema crew post and answer the question what is your favorite Beatles song now, I thought last week was hard, favourite Pixar film, but that one, mm. that's going to cause mm. some arguments, I think, no. in the comments. Strawberry Fields. <laughs> Strawberry Fields. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Simply leave your answer with the hashtag the cinema crew for your chance to win. Next week, your friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man has made his way to Europe in Spider-Man Far From Home and a film that started its life as fan fiction in After. But until then, thank you, Varit. Thanks. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. My name is Cambo, and we'll catch you next week on The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas. <laughs>